Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again for another episode of Here We Go. It's the Steelers show from Fans First Sports Network and Steel Curtain Network. I am Brian Anthony Davis, and alongside me is my very good friend. His name is K.T. Smith. What is going on, Coach? Brian, happy Friday. Happy football. Happy summer. A lot, of, lot to celebrate right now. Absolutely. You know, it's it's summertime. We had the official first day of summer just on Wednesday. So that's a big deal to me. So we can officially say that it's summer. The temperatures in some places have been like Buster Poindexter would have said hot, hot, hot. And I'm feeling hot, hot, hot when I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kevin. Yeah, there's an awful lot of optimism at least locally or within the circle of Steelers fans, maybe not nationally. And that's something we're going to talk about, right? Whether or, whether or not the Steelers are going to exceed the expectations that, that some national pundits and, and national media have for them. But from my point of view, there's an awful lot to like about this Pittsburgh Steelers team. There absolutely is. And we're also seeing some national pundits turn the corner a little bit and I think you're going to see a little bit more because of all of the moves that the Steelers made you've got to be excited about it and something that we've talked about before is this Steeler team looks a whole lot different than last year and you cannot say that they have not improved their roster because their gains seem to already outweigh their losses in free agency or in cuts or what have you now Colin Coward has already said that the Steelers are a playoff team. And I don't believe we might've talked about this last week, but a guy that I am not a big fan of, but if Colin Coward says that you're a pretty good team and you're a playoff team, that's one that you could probably take to the bank. He's pretty accurate on a lot of things. And he does not like to give the Pittsburgh Steelers a whole lot of uh, good vibes. So when a guy like that's doing it, I kind of feel that people are starting to notice. And I, I feel like as much as I'm not a big fan of uh, his demeanor and everything, the guy's smart when it comes to sports. What's his, what you might not know this. What's his background? Is he a West coast guy? An L.A. guy. Uh, well, I'm wondering what's his beef with the Steelers. Was he a Raiders fan growing up and got an old time grudge? I'm not sure. He's actually, I believe, he grew up around Seattle. Okay. And I, a, a oh, lot of his negativity. 2005, I, right there. A lot of his negativity came out in 2005 because he debuted in 2004 on ESPN. Go. Uh, there you go. So, it's the old ref screwed us bias. I get it. Yes, okay. uh, it it could be, but. He's uh, he's that guy, but he gives credit when credit's due. And that's one thing that I do like about him. So I, I feel pretty good about that. I think you're going to see a lot of the other pundits come around. He's not believing in Baltimore as much. And a lot of people are, are really loving Baltimore as that second AFC North team. Kevin, let me start with this. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that there's going to be three teams coming out of the AFC North in the playoffs? If there's any division where there will be three teams, I believe it will be the North because the the East is improved for sure. Miami and the Jets are both legitimate playoff contenders, and Buffalo is pretty much a lock. And then you can never count out the Patriots when when we're talking about the Patriots as maybe the worst of the four teams. 
in the AFC East. That just speaks to the growth of that division. So you could see three from the East. The South, I think, is a is one and done. You know, like whoever wins the division is is it. That's the only one getting in. And I think the same might be true of the West. I don't think that the West outside of the Chiefs uh, is an especially strong division. I, I know people like the Chargers, but they, they always seem to kind of fall short of expectation. So it, it may very well come down to a, a race between, let's say, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Jets, the Dolphins, maybe those four teams for three playoff spots. And so I think the toughness of the North positions itself well for late season football and it won't be surprising at all if you if you get three AFC North teams so let's talk about you mentioned exceeding expectations and you have three ways that the Steelers can exceed expectations is that correct sure I was kind of thinking about some of the national conversation and you're right you are starting to see some people turn more positively towards the Steelers And there's reasons for that. And as I kind of started to look at it, I thought, well, why, why, why might, if, if the expectation level for Pittsburgh is as a nine win team, a nine and eight team, like they were last year, which is about where their Vegas is putting their over under, could the Steelers exceed those expectations? Could they wind up being, you know, a 10, 11, even 12 win team. And I can find reasons to make that argument. And so I came up with a list and I think I have three pretty good ones. All right. I'm going to let you do it. I'm not going to take credit for this because this is a really good list and you came up with a list. So number one, Kevin hit me. Okay. So number one, the Steelers are, are kind of zigging when the rest of the league is zagging. And, and by that, I mean, so much of the NFL is still based on, the 11 personnel offenses and building around the vertical passing game and speed at the skill positions. And that's a proven formula. You can absolutely win like that. We see teams do it all the time, but you also see a little bit of, I don't want to call it a retro movement, but there are some teams and I believe the Philadelphia Eagles are one of them that are combining that approach with an old school smash mouth, football approach teams that are essentially saying rather than spend all of our money on high-end skill position players let's invest it up front let's invest it on on our offensive and defensive lines and the Steelers are making a strong investment right now in that arena they've obviously spent a lot of the offseason revamping the offensive line they've built themselves some really nice depth up front just a couple years ago the offensive line was one of the biggest weaknesses I remember in 2020 Booger McFarlane calling the Steelers offensive line soft. And I think that they, I don't, I'm not saying this is why they've done it, but I think that they, when they self scouted thought that similarly, that we're not as physical up front as we, as we need to be. And the Steelers have gone out now and addressed it with multiple free agent acquisitions. And obviously Broderick Jones, the number one pick. And then on the defensive line, they've acquired an awful lot of depth. I mean, the Steelers, when you look at the Steelers' defensive line, there's going to be some tough cuts in there. There are some guys who I think could be pretty good NFL football players who might not make the roster. So what Pittsburgh has done is essentially said, how do we recreate our formula for success in Pittsburgh? And we do it through rebuilding ourselves up front on both sides of the football. And then when you look at what they're going to try to do offensively, they're clearly a team 
That is saying we're going to try to run the ball first and foremost. We're going to establish the run. We're going to use it to set up the pass. And that's counterintuitive to what a lot of the league's doing right now. A lot of the league is saying, let's use the pass to set up the run. And so it's a little bit of a zig here for the Steelers when everybody else is zagging. And I think that that could work in Pittsburgh's favor. Pittsburgh's approach is not going to be like everybody else's, which could make them a little more difficult to game plan for. Let's dive in a little bit more on that, because when you're talking about the defensive front right now, PFF has just ranked the Pittsburgh Steelers as number five in the league for their defensive line and the men up front in the trenches. Now, they're not talking about front seven. They're talking about the guys with their with their fingers in the dirt and you know ready to rumble in those trenches and that's a big thing especially with what you have there now right now that we know that that cam hayward is your number one guy mm-hmm. but he is getting older but he has shown that he if he has support on that team that he can be ageless at times and it looks like larry ogan was an absolute steal not just last year, but on the three-year deal that they re-signed him. And he's absolutely, uh, he's echoing what fans were thinking when they had Stefan Tuitt in there. So as far as that goes, they're pretty strong on the defensive tackle and the defensive end. And and then when you look at the uh, middle of that line, we're talking a rookie in Keanu Benton, who's a lot of people are loving the dancing bear right now. And you have other guys like an Armand Watts. You have you still have DeMarvin Leal, who is who could be moving around on that line. He could also be sent to uh, you know edge as far as uh, the linebacker position too. You have a lot of vers- versatility on that line so much that you have a guy like Tyson Alualu that wants to come back, but probably can't because there's no room for him. And if you bring a guy like that, you're stunting the growth of some younger players. And not only, I mentioned those guys, there's still Montrevious Adams in the mix. There's Isaiah Loudermilk in the mix. And I'm probably missing one or two, Kevin. Yeah, Braden Fajoko, the, the, the free oh, agent yeah, acquisition from the Chargers, who who seems to be a, a pretty darn good football player. So you're right, there, there are some guys, in that, and all those guys you just named, they're not all going to make the roster. So there are some guys in there that are going to be some tough cuts. Benton is the guy who, now that people have gotten a, a close look at him through OTAs and minicamp is really getting a lot of buzz. I read an article the, the other day where uh, an NFL insider described him as a prototypical three down defensive lineman. Uh, I read a quote from uh, one of one of his teammates the other day. I can't remember which dealer said it, but they, they described him as having heavy hands, which is a phrase I love because heavy hands is just sort of football talk for a guy who, uh, packs a tremendous amount of power in his ability to strike that when he strikes you with his hands, it, it comes with a great deal of, of power. <laughs> I coached the kid one time who, who uh, ended up going to the university of Virginia on a, on a scholarship. He was a defensive mm-hmm. lineman and we were doing a drill one time where I was holding the bag and we had guys demonstrating how to properly deliver a, a two-handed, a two-handed shiver to the chest of a lineman. And I was holding the bag and I said to this kid, you know, give me, you know, give me a shot. Show me your technique. And he, and he hit the bag. We didn't hit it real hard. And I said, come on, man, hit the bag. I, I'm, I'm good. Hit it. And he, he drilled the bag and drove the bag right, right up into my face and snapped my sunglasses in half. 
And I and I, immediately I was like, heavy hands. That kid's got heavy hands. They're, not all people have that kind of power, the ability to sort of generate a tremendous amount of power from in a short space uh, and, and, a, and a great explosion from your, your rib cage to the chest of an opponent, which may only be an eight to 10 inch area. And Benton, everybody is talking about him having that. Cam Hayward certainly is, has been like that throughout his career. So he's an exciting guy when you think about the possibility of him stepping into the lineup when Cam Hayward needs a break this year and then going forward when Hayward's done because people are talking about him the same way that they talked about Hayward. And with the Marvin Leal coming in last year, my gosh, the future of that line looks really good. Especially, it's so promising when you are not gripping as much over the retirement of Cam Hayward. And that's not going to happen next year. He still has, a, I mean, he's one of those guys that can play a long time and you get excited about. But let's talk the other side of the ball now. And you're talking about the trenches and it's that offensive line here. And they are emulating a lot what the Philadelphia Eagles have done. And they brought in some guys with the roots from the, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And when you look at that line, you get most excited about Isaac Samalo because he seems like he could be the next pro bowler. He looks, he's looking, he's talking like he's a leader of this team already. And that's something nice to see. Now you also have a revitalized Dan Moore Jr., and Chuk Sikorafor is fighting for his job. And now what's a little crazy is you're hearing a lot of people, there's, they're saying that Broderick Jones is not looking good in shorts right now. Is that something to be concerned about, Kevin? No, not at all, man. I just, I, I read those reports and I think to myself, uh, this is particularly unfair when you're talking about A, a left tackle, which is one of the hardest positions to transition from the NFL or from college to the NFL and play. I think quarterback, uh, corner, and left tackle are probably the three hardest positions to make that leap simply because of the speed at which the game happens and the amount of information that has to be processed in order to play those positions well. And Broderick Jones is 21 years old, 21 years old. That's it. He's a young man who doesn't have a ton of experience. He was only a one-year starter at Georgia and there's going to be a learning curve. And I think that you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think that it's naive to, to think of him as the day one starter. And the Steelers have their bye after uh, week five this year. And I would be very surprised to see Broderick Jones in the starting lineup before the bye week. And if Dan Moore Jr. Uh, plays well, and all reports are that he's bigger, stronger, and extremely motivated, which he should be because – Anytime you spend a number one pick at your position, you're going to you're gonna have to step it up in order to maintain your starting spot. And Moore looks pretty darn good right now from what we hear. So it's going to make it difficult for Broderick Jones to, to jump into the lineup. And that's what every Steelers fan should want. Every Steelers fan should want Broderick Jones to face an uphill fight to step into the starting lineup because it speaks to the growth and improvement of the existing tackles. So if we don't see Broderick Jones in the lineup – in week one, if we don't see him until the bye week, if we don't see him till midseason, I wouldn't think that that's necessarily a bad thing at all. How do we get fans to and media alike to not 
need instant gratification with a number one pick because it's something that some guys need to be redshirted. And we talk about that with Troy Polamalu as well. He needed to be redshirted that first year and hardly get any action. But how do we let them know that it's okay for a guy to sit and learn their first year? That Yeah, that is tough. You hear all the time, you don't draft a guy in the first round for him to sit. But sometimes that's the best way to learn. And I think about Kenny Pickett. I felt like Pickett was rushed into the starting lineup last year. I felt as though that the ideal time was to wait until the bye week to bring him in because he just didn't have any reps really with the number one unit in practice. And when they threw him in at halftime of the Jets game and he threw three interceptions in the second half, now only one of them was a a really legit interception because one came on a Hail Mary at the end of the game and one bounced right off of a, a receiver's hands into a Jet defender. But still, three interceptions. And and then at times, a little bit of a regression, uh, a little bit of difficulty with his reads, with staying in the pocket, with some ill-advised throws, especially if you think back to that Miami game that forced interception in, in the end zone at the end of the game when the Steelers were driving to maybe win. He just had to learn on the fly. And granted, there's no there's no substitute for experience as a teacher, but sometimes the learning curve can be made easier by being properly prepared. And Pickett just didn't have that time. Uh, and I thought that maybe some time to practice more, watch a little bit more would have really benefited him. So I'd hate to put Broderick Jones in the same boat, especially when you think about the Steelers schedule, right? Week one, Nick Bosa. Week two, Miles Garrett, right? Week three, Vegas, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. Oh. I mean, coming out of the gate, you're, you, you're essentially saying to Broderick Jones, go, go block three of the best edge rushers in the NFL. And if the Steelers can afford to wait because they're convinced that Dan Moore Jr. will do a better job, then they absolutely should wait. That's great to hear, Kevin. And because I want people to realize that you do not need instant gratification with some of these players. It's always good to see what they do in that second year. The Steelers did have some great success with rookies last season, and they're going to continue to do it this season. But we've got to remember that it takes some time for those guys to you know, get their breath in this league. Speaking of breath, we're going to take a breath here. We're going to take a quick break. We will be back with the other ways that the Steelers can go ahead and exceed expectations in 2023. It's Here we go. The Steelers show from Fans First Sports Network right here. Stick around, my friends. Welcome back to Here We Go, the Steelers show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. KT Smith is here with me. It is the weekend, and as Loverboy would say, everybody is working for the weekend. When Kevin Smith had cool locks and long hair in the 80s, he was jamming out to that song, I bet. (laughs) Uh, I did have long locks in the 80s, right? I mean, it was a somewhat of a mullet, as everybody had. But yeah, man, I I had a good mane. 
And then all of a sudden I didn't. It was a very quick transition. So very painful. I've got to see a young KT Smith. You got to show me a picture of that. Oh yeah. Spectacular. Fairly spectacular. So uh, I think the mullet is back, a- man. The mullet is uh, the, the high school where I teach at. It's the walk down any hallway. You're going to see mullets galore. So it's I come back it. in all of its glory. Uh, I love it. I have some of my scouts having uh, mullets as well. So, and I'm like, Hey, you want to see mine from the eighties? And I show them the, I keep my senior picture on my phone and they're like, that was you. And like, yeah. That was like half a guy ago because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was uh, probably about 135 when I graduated. So there you go. Let's get back into it. And, but before we do that, make sure that you check out another great edition of let's ride. That was on this morning with Jeff Hartman. He also had Jeremy Betts in on the all better off segment. That's always a good one to listen to, man. If you want to tickle your funny bone and you want to listen to a great show, it's what Ian's talking about. Kyle Christ, Greg Benevin, absolutely fantastic stuff from those guys. Another new episode ran yesterday. You're going to hear a great stat geek show from Dave Schofield and the preview with Jeff, Dave, and myself. That was last night as well. This weekend, plenty of shows to listen to, including the State of the Steelers, another Steelers week that was. You're going to hear another Steelers Q&A, and don't forget, a great episode of The Homies as well. All right, we just talked about a lot that you could listen to. Hey, I only scratched the surface. There's so much more to go ahead and check out. Also, on FFSN. On Fans First Sports Network, the NFL feed, you can catch the latest episode of KT Smith and the call sheet. Yeah, this week we're talking about building a explosive modern NFL offense. What the correlation between explosive plays and offensive success, and then how do you create those explosive plays? What are some of the ways in which the best NFL offenses go about creating explosive plays that lead? To scoring drive. So we're taking a little bit of a deep dive on big plays and, and how they evolve in the NFL. Definitely. I love that show. It was a great episode. It's a clinic. You definitely need to check that out. Once again, the call sheet on Fans First Sports Network, the NFL feed. Go ahead and check that out as well. And if you're fans of other teams and ever other sports, you can find those on FFSN. Let's do it. Let's get into it. We talked about expectations. We already talked about expectation number one, the trenches. Let's talk about number two, Kevin. So I think number two is is the expected leap of the second year players. You mentioned that the Steelers had a strong rookie class last year. And the biggest growth that players typically make in their NFL careers comes between the first and second season. And when you think back to last year, the Steelers went nine and eight, despite the fact that they reshuffled their offensive line with a brand new offensive line coach. That line didn't really come together till the second half of the season. And despite the fact that they started full time, two rookies in Kenny Pickett and George Pickens, and then they got significant contributions on a regular basis as rotational players from several others. Right. So so you look at Leal, we already mentioned Leal, right? You look at the undrafted free agent, Jalen Warren, Connor Hayward, Mark Robinson by the end of the season. I mean, you're talking now about seven rookies who were either starters or valuable contributors to last season's team. And they had to go through the learning curve, like we talked about 
uh, you know, in the in the previous segment. And that learning curve is significant. And once they came through that, they were much improved players and they helped contribute to a, an excellent close to the season, a seven and two finish by the Steelers. Now those guys have all had a, a full training camp as veterans. Kenny Pickett's now getting all the starters reps. Unlike last year, George Pickens is working on developing his route tree. The Steelers have a better idea now how to use Connor Hayward, who they kind of sort of had to feel out a role for throughout much of last season. They've experimented with different roles for, uh, with DeMarvin Leal, and it seems as though they know how they want to use him. Mark Robinson now is going to compete for a starting job. He'll probably wind up the third linebacker, but everybody seems to think that he's got such a high ceiling. And Jalen Warren, I mean, there are some people who think he's better than Najee Harris. I mean, he's going to be the number two running back, but doesn't seem to be much of a production fall off when you go to him. And we haven't even mentioned Calvin Austin III, who missed all of last year due to injury and now could step in as a big play uh, guy out of the slot for the Steelers with his sub 4-4 speed. So when you, when you look at that and you look at the expected growth that all those guys should make, and throw that in with all the other improvements the Steelers have made, it seems reasonable to expect significant improvement from the team. Now, we have heard a lot about improvement from those second-year guys. We've heard Terrell Austin talking about what you need with Mark Robinson. But the big things that we've heard, and this is absolutely very significant, Frisman Jackson made some comments that a lot of people felt like they were calling out they were calling out George Pickens, but he was not. He was just basically saying that you expect him to do much better than he did last year, because if you have what he did last year, it's going to be a disappointment. Basically, he's not saying, Kevin, that he was disappointing last year. Is They want to see him grow and do so much more. So as far as that goes, you don't feel that that was a rip. No, not at all. That would, what he, he said it would be a failure if Pickens didn't improve on his rookie year. And there, that is a completely logical statement, right? You expect improvement between year one and year two. George Pickens did some great things in year one. Absolutely. He, he showed himself to be an excellent downfield threat. He was great at winning so-called 50-50 balls, right? Pickens calls them 90-10 balls because he believes that 90% of the time he's going to win on those. And, and, he made some beautiful catches, absolutely sensational highlight reel catches. He demonstrated great toughness as a blocker, ton to be excited about, but huge room for growth with George Pickens. For example, George Pickens rarely ran intermediate crossing routes or routes that attack the middle of the field. Why? I don't know exactly, but my theory is because those are more complicated routes that require site adjustments that as you're running those routes, you're having to locate specific defenders and adjust your route on the fly. And in the NFL, that's a lot harder than it is in college due to the fact that there's so many coverage disguises and moving pieces. And I think that uh, Pickens probably struggled with that a little bit. And, and what Frisman Jackson is saying is it's time for him to develop the nuances of playing the position that will get him to the next level because what Frisman Jackson said was we need him to be great. He didn't say we need him to be good. He was good last year. He said we need him to be great. And that if he doesn't take that leap, it will be a failure. And I think that that's a fair characterization. And he didn't just say a failure of George Pickens. He said it'll be a failure of all of us, failure of me, failure of, of, of Coach Tomlin, of the organization as a whole. So 
So I didn't see anything disrespectful in those comments. They were logical. And I would be the, I would imagine George Pickens would be the first to agree with them. Yeah, I think he would too. And, you know, to that point, you could look at it in your job. All of you out there that have expectations, you want to raise them every single year. KT, if we have the same amount of listeners that we did in 2022 for Here We Go, the Steelers show, then we didn't do anything. We didn't gain anything. We didn't do anything to up the ante. And we kind of feel that that's a failure too. You want to grow in every position. And that means with the Steelers, with what we're doing, podcasting in every aspect of your life, you want to be better each and every year. Yeah, I'd be disappointed, right? Because you and I talk all the time. How can we improve the show? How can we make this more engaging, more interesting. And again, professionally, I don't know if you saw this or not, uh, but Mike Tom, there's a video of Mike Tomlin from minicamp that's been making the rounds on Twitter. Fantastic. Of, yeah, right? Where, where he talks about you got to be a player on the rise. You got to constantly be on the rise. And essentially what he's saying is, I don't care if you're a rookie or you're a 10-year veteran, you have to constantly be showing out in a way that, that shows improvement and that catches the attention of the coaches in a positive light because it's a competitive job market. And, the, and if you're not improving, if you're not on the rise, somebody else is. And it was great. I mean, so many, so many people posted that on Twitter just with comments about, hey, here's why Mike Tom is so, so respected. And he's talking about himself and the organization. And I think, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying that, that those comments were directed to George Pickens, but I guarantee Pickens was listening. Yeah, and I I feel like they were. I mean, fantastic stuff there. We are going to continue on number two because Patrick Peterson came out and basically said, "Hey, we have grown. This team has grown so much." And he wasn't even on the team last year, and that's just a fantastic leader. In fact, let me just segue real quick. Go back and check out Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman on Wednesday talking about why Patrick Peterson was the best acquisition for the Steelers, whether it be the draft or in free agency in the entire 2023 offseason. And he's going to tell you why. And a lot of it has to do with making comments like he did. Now, it also the national media took this and said, well, Patrick Peterson is calling out Kenny Pickett right now. No, he's not calling him out. He is simply saying what, Kevin? Well, I think, first of all, I think the national media at this time of year, because there isn't a ton of news happening, they're groping for stories. And so they love to sensationalize headlines and they love to use phrases like so-and-so got, got put on blast, which is just this sort of clickbait phrase that you hear sometimes. But what Patrick Peterson was saying was that the Steelers expect Kenny Pickett to be a leader and they expect him to be the guy and that to be the guy you're going to have to elevate not just your play, but your presence in the locker room, the way you talk to the media, uh, your command of the huddle, essentially saying that it's time now in his second year for Kenny Pickett to be the franchise quarterback. And that, that's not calling him out. That's just a, saying what the expectation is. Everybody needs to know the expectation. And if a veteran like Patrick Peterson can't lay for you in an honest fashion and you can't receive that objectively that's on you and speaking of peterson one of the things that's been really impressive and this is this is something i think that gets undervalued a little bit is the impact that it feels as though peterson and Allen robinson on the offensive side of the ball are having on some of the younger players in their position group you've heard a lot of people talk about what great mentors those guys are being how valuable their experience is hearing about Calvin Austin and 
Pickens kind of hanging with Robinson and soaking up whatever he's willing to, to give to them and, and Joey Porter Jr. doing the same with Peterson. It just really feels as though the Steelers recognize the need for mentors within specifically those position groups and going out and getting two guys who are ideal in that role. It's interesting. I don't know this for a fact, but I wonder if the Steelers looked at what happened with Chase Claypool, who never seemed to evolve or progress, never seemed to acquire the maturity and the work habits that are necessary to thrive in the NFL. And they said to themselves, he never had a, vet, a veteran mentor there. He never had a guy who could really show him the ropes. And let's make sure that doesn't happen with some of our young guys. Maybe that was some of the impetus for, for Robinson signing. Yeah, I, I really think that is. I, I, I love your point there. You are gaining locker room guys. You're gaining spokespeople. And all they need to do is have good years they do because this is a team aspect and going back to what Patrick Peterson said you know look not only did he say that he needs to be the leader he said he endorsed him and said he already is so that's a big deal but everybody likes to twist that around because we gotta have headline everybody needs headlines right yeah for sure so it is it is that time of year no doubt all right let's do number three my man so I think that I think the third big thing, the third big reason the Steelers could exceed expectations is their depth. They, this is a deep roster. This is a roster where when you look at the offensive line, for example, there's eight guys who you'd feel fairly comfortable putting in the starting lineup. You have your expected starting five, which is let's Moore, Sayamalu, uh, Mason Cole at center. James Daniels at the right guard and, and Chuksa Korfer at the right tackle. But Broder Jones is going to be ready soon. I don't know when exactly, but soon. And will be starter quality in a short time. Kevin Dotson, last year's starter, performed well enough that you'd feel comfortable inserting him back into the lineup. And then Nate Herbig, the, the other big free agent signing, is, is a starting quality player as well. So it's really interesting when you look at the fact that the Steelers have eight guys who you'd be comfortable with starting on the offensive line. And then you go back just two years ago and you realize we're not even talking about Kendrick green and Kendrick green started every game at center. That's how I, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Kendrick green, but that, that that's the shape that the 2020 O-line was in. And this year he's not even one of the best eight. So their, their depth up front on, on the offensive side of the ball is great. The D line we've already talked about. They they've done a really nice job replacing pieces where they had free agents leave, such as at the corner position, bringing in Peterson, and then drafting Porter and Corey Trice at safety, bringing in Keanu O'Neill to replace Terrell Edmonds, who looks like uh, he's going to be a, a nice player for the Steelers, and re-signing Demonte Kazee, filling in the pieces at the wide receiver position deepening the tight end room with Darnell Washington. I mean, it, it's like everywhere you go, you look at each position group and suddenly it feels like the Steelers can go into their second string guys and still be okay. And that's going to serve them really well over the course of a 17 game year when inevitably you're going to have injuries. That's where depth comes in. And when you look at the fact that the Steelers released a guy like Anthony Miller, that shows how deep they are at wide receiver. And I think that's something we talked about in the past couple of weeks about how deep that wide receiver room is as well. So when you think about it, it's a, it's a shame to see a guy that starred 
in the preseason last year in Anthony Miller not getting a spot, but the only reason for that is guys are shining in minicamp and they need to make room for other guys and bringing in another depth piece in Nick Quiet Nick Kwiatkowski. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, but uh, Nick K at, at inside linebacker. Now you've done everything that you set out to do. So you pretty much have the roster you want. Now at this point, you got to make sure that it gels together. Right. It's going to be hard to make this team when you look at the at the uh, prospects going into training camp. Uh, the Steelers are, are deep with veterans right now. So the fringe guys are really going to have their work cut out for them to make the 53-man roster. Have you ever felt that the Steelers were this deep going into a season at the second level, guys? I would, I'd have to really back and take a good look to answer that question objectively, but certainly not in, in the last four or five years. No doubt about that. In the last four or five years, it's felt like, man, that you lose a guy and there's going to be a significant fall off between the next guy who comes in. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the Steelers rebuilt the roster the way that they did. And, that, and that's really a hallmark of the Eagles. The Eagles the last couple of years, really, if you go all the way back to 2017 when they uh, won their Super Bowl up through this past year's Super Bowl run, they've been a deep team. They've been a team that's been able to rotate a lot of different guys into the starting lineup. Uh, and Andy Weidel coming out of that system has really been able to put that imprint on this current Steelers team. And I think it's going to serve the team really well. Yeah, I want to talk about that real quick. The Steelers have had deeper teams on the, uh, when I say deeper teams, they have had better teams first team. But if somebody went down, they were in trouble. They had no depth, even when they had playoff teams, even when they went 13 and three in 2017, they were, they were uh, very good. They were stronger than this 2023 team, but with the depth, I have not seen a team this strong in eons in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, just th I think back to the 2016 AFC Championship game when Le'Veon Bell gets hurt on the first series of the game. And, and that's it. The Steelers are done. Their running game disappears, and New England can start teeing off on Ben Roethlisberger, and the offensive line isn't good enough in pass protection to, to hold up. So it's kind of like one injury really set – really ended that football game very, very early. And I'm not saying that if they had a, a, a better second back that they would have beaten the Patriots, but you certainly look at like this year's team and you say, hey, if Najee Harris goes down and the Steelers have to ride with Jalen Warren, they're going to be okay. I think back to, I can't remember if it was Atlanta or Carolina, whichever game it was where Najee Harris missed this past year. And Indianapolis. Indy, okay. And the Steelers rolled up about 180-some rushing yards. We're using a tandem of uh, – of Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane and Jalen Warren. And, and they were able to, to maintain their game plan just like uh, they would have if Harris had been there. So clearly uh, a deeper unit and better position for a longer season now. Well, I want to go back to that comment you just made about that 2016 AFC championship game, because after Le'Veon Bell was hurt, the Steelers had a Jesse James touchdown called back. And they were on the one foot line and they never got in. So that makes a big difference. Sure, that 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 game was like 36 to 24 at the end. But if they get those extra four points in a halftime, that's a completely different ball game. Yeah, um, no offense to, uh, I think it was, 
It was Fitz Fitz Toussaint, right? He was the backup at that time, I believe. Uh, he he may have been because uh, I don't think it was unless it was D'Angelo. I'm not sure. D'Angelo might have still been there too. Yeah, well, I mean, at that point in, in D'Angelo's career, he was if it was him, he was kind of a shell of his former self. And anyway, they did not have they didn't have a quality number two. And now you look around all over the roster and you feel as though there's quality number twos. That's the big thing. Kevin, it's been a fantastic conversation. I love it. We will see you in two weeks from now. We're going to give you a little bit of a break. I think you deserve some time off. So I tell you what, I've got it alone next week. I'm sure you'll, 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 you'll hold down the fort, man. I mean, you know, you're maybe Brian will do like his favorite bands of the eighties. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll do some, uh, some acapella for you guys. I mean, he's a talented individual, so you might just get a special treat on the, on uh here we go next week. Yeah, that would be fantastic. But Jeff would not let me do that. I, ah. I think he would, he would come in and put the kibosh, even though I'm the <laughs> podcast producer, he would, he would come in and overrule that he would actually, he would love it. But he's like, Brian, you got to talk Steelers. So try <laughs> to put it into Steelers. And uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's get on out of here. Kevin, it's been fantastic. You, I feel like you put on another clinic tonight. Great job. Well, thank you, sir. And all you guys listening out there, man, uh, I'm going to have a little time off and I'll, I'll talk to everybody shortly. Have a great couple of weeks. All right. For Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. This has been Here We Go, the Steelers show. Keep your feet on the ground. Keep reaching for those hypocycloids. Mm-hmm.